Joe Biden's radical Supreme Court nominee, Ketanji Jackson, took to Capitol Hill yesterday for the first day of her confirmation hearings. And Republicans kicked off the hearings by promising to take the high road. And then most of the members of this committee remember the confirmation hearing of Brett Kavanaugh, one of the lowest moments in the history of this committee, where Democrats on this committee sat on allegations, didn't refer them to the FBI, didn't ask for investigations, hid them, and then leaked them against the wishes of the complainant. And we began a circus that featured Spartacus moments, featured such nuts as Michael Avenatti, whom CNN breathlessly for some months described as a possible Democratic presidential candidate. That's before, presumably, he became a felon in recent months. Judge Jackson, I can assure you that your hearing will feature none of that disgraceful behavior. Senator Cruz can assure her of that, but I cannot. Because as I have said many times already, Judge Katanji Jackson groped me at a party back in the 80s. PJ was there and Squee was there and, and Judge Katanji Jackson was there. And her manhandling of me has caused tremendous trauma in my life. I, I demand to see her seventh grade yearbook. And I have exactly as much evidence against her as Christine Ford and Julie Swetnick and Michael Avenatti had against Justice Brett Kavanaugh. But Senate Republicans have actually unearthed some dirt on Ketanji Jackson that is significantly more damning. Senate Republicans have evidence that Judge Jackson has a soft spot for some of the worst child abusing criminals in the country and that she thinks the Constitution is rotten to the core, which is a far bigger problem than any grab-happy indiscretions Katanji Jackson may or may not have perpetrated against me as a teenager. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Colleen Santos, who says, get you someone who looks at you the way Michael looks when saying Fauci might retire. I know, that's true. You want to talk about love in your eyes, doe eyes. That's, that's the, the sort of spell that comes over me when Fauci says he might retire. But there's that big caveat, because he says he might retire unless COVID keeps going on. And then he says COVID's going to keep going on, which is why you really ought to check out my series, Fauci Unmasked, uh, doing really, really well on Daily Wire. Head on over to dailywire.com to do that. Katanji Jackson probably will not be spiked as a nominee because of what she did to me at that party in Georgetown in the 80s. Uh, that's fine. Look, okay, it's not, that life isn't fair. All right, I'm not surprised that she won't be held to account for that, that horrible way she made me feel back at that party w with all that evidence that I have of it. But the Senate Republicans are focusing on some other indiscretions from uh, Justice Katanji or Judge Katanji Jackson, probably future Justice Katanji Jackson. Republican Senator Josh Hawley has discovered while going through uh, Judge Jackson's judicial history that she's soft on child pornography. Here are, I hope, in the next couple of days, some of the cases from your time on the, on the court, the district court, the federal district court, that I hope that we can talk about. Let me just run few, uh, through a few of them so you know exactly which ones I mean. United States versus Hawkins. This was a child pornography case where the defendant distributed multiple images of child porn, possessed dozens more, including videos. 
The federal sentencing guidelines recommended a sentence of 97 to 121 months in prison. Prosecutors recommended 24 months in prison. Judge Jackson gave the defendant three months in prison. As near as we can tell, all of Judge Jackson's cases dealing with child pornography from her time on the district court, in which she had some discretion to hand down a sentence. There's some other cases in which the law, she didn't have any discretion, the law bound the sentence that she had to, had to give. And what concerns me, and I've been very candid about this, is that in every case, in each of these seven, Judge Jackson handed down a lenient sentence that was below what the federal guidelines recommended and below what prosecutors requested. And so I think there's a lot to talk about there, and I look forward to talking about it. This is a pretty good political attack. When I say political attack, I don't mean it's an unfair political attack. I, you know, the Republicans attack the Democrats, the Democrats attack the Republicans. When the Democrats attacked Judge Kavanaugh, it was over some completely made up nonsense from two lunatic women and their dirtbag lawyer, Michael Avenatti. When the Republicans are attacking Judge Jackson here, it's over something real, which is that she went soft on criminals, not just any criminals, sex criminals, not just any sex criminals, child sex criminals criminals who committed sex offenses against children. Now, it wasn't child rapists. It was people who possessed and in some cases transmitted child pornography. And some people on the right, shockingly, have opened up this whole debate over whether or not our sentencing on child pornography is too harsh. That is besides the point, guys. The, the question is over Judge Jackson's record. When there were sentencing guidelines on a particularly heinous crime, she sided toward the absolute lowest end of the spectrum that she possibly could. Especially at this moment where parents' issues, where kids' issues are the top of the heap. Just look at what got Glenn Youngkin elected in Virginia. What was it? It wasn't cutting taxes. It wasn't immigration. It was CRT and gender theory in schools. Just look at what's been playing in Florida, the parental rights in education bill. Just look at these bills around the country. This is a pretty good line of attack against Judge Jackson. But people have debates. You'll, you'll no, sometimes see, especially more on the libertarian side of the right, you'll see people say, oh, sentencing for porn, even for child porn, uh, is, is too high. If you're not producing the stuff, if you're not kidnapping the child, if you're not actually performing the abuse yourself, maybe it should be lower. Okay, fine. The, uh, I think that's a crazy argument, but that's the argument to be had. There's something even, frankly, more concerning about Judge Jackson's nomination than her weakness on crime, which is a, which is a big problem in America. Don't forget, we don't have an over-incarceration problem in America. We have an under-incarceration problem. We're too soft on crime. But the, the more concerning thing is that Judge Jackson apparently supports critical race theory. So this same issue, the same issue of indoctrination, the same issue we saw playing out in Virginia, we're seeing this play out in Jackson's nomination. Uh, there is an article in the Daily Wire, you can go read it, Biden's Supreme Court pick championed advocates of critical race theory in lectures and speeches. It's by Tim Pierce. Apparently in a, in a lecture that that Judge Jackson gave at the University of Michigan Law School, not 20 years ago, not 10 years ago, two years ago in January of 2020, uh, the speech was called Black Women Leaders in the Civil Rights Movement Era and Beyond. Judge Jackson said she took inspiration from the works of Derrick Bell. Derrick Bell is one of the creators of critical race theory. D it's Derrick Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, a few other people 
developed critical race theory. Critical race theory is a, a academic lens that views America as fundamentally wrong, broken, bigoted, evil, racist. It's all a rigged system to benefit white supremacy and to attack black people. That's what CRT says, right down to our economics. Our very economic system is rooted in white supremacy. So says critical race theory. Well, Judge Jackson says she takes a lot of inspiration from the people who invented critical race theory. It's not just that. She said that she supports the New York Times' 1619 project. She referred to Nicole Hannah-Jones, the fabulist behind the 1619 project, as a, quote, acclaimed investigative journalist and lauded this project, the central thesis of which was a complete lie. The central thesis of the 1619 project was that the American Revolution was fought to protect slavery. It's complete nonsense. Even left-wing academic historians debunked it. Even the New York Times eventually had to acknowledge that it was a lie. Of course, they, they run the story on page A1. They run the retraction on page Z7000, and they still spent millions of dollars to get this put into school curricula all around the country. But Jackson supports this kind of thing. This is, this is more damning than going light on child porn. It is because the libs go light on virtually every crime other than the guy in the horn hat walking into the Capitol on January 6th. That's the worst crime in the history of the world. That person needs to be sent to the Hague and go meet the guillotine. But basically every other crime, violent crimes, robbery, murder, rape, hardcore child pornography, all other crimes you got to go really light on because we've got a quote unquote over incarceration problem. So that it's, it's upsetting. It's disconcerting for, for people who respect the rule of law, but that's to be expected from a liberal judge. This is something we haven't seen before. We have not seen even Democrat Supreme Court nominees who openly support critical race theory, who openly support the lies of the 1619 project, who are saying that America is evil, that the constitution is rotten. This is the woman that Joe Biden has selected to be the great defender and interpreter of the Constitution on the bench. This is the most radical Supreme Court nominee perhaps we have ever seen in American history. And she looks good and she talks good and she's got all the good credentials. So people are pretending that this is totally normal. It's not. We have never seen radicalism like this before. It's enough to keep you tense and keep you up at night, which is why you got to go check out Bolin Branch. Go to BolinBranch.com right now. Use promo code Michael. These are the greatest sheets I have ever slept on. It's like you are sleeping at a five-star resort every single night. I have been using Bolin Branch sheets ever since my bachelor days, actually. I got a set from Bolin Branch as a freebie when we uh, started doing this show. And ever since that set, I've said, I don't care. Whatever the price is, get me more of these. I upgraded the size of my bed. First thing, we had to go get Bolin Branch sheets. And the good thing for you and for your wallet is that the prices on Bolin Branch are unbelievable. So you're sleeping on the absolute highest quality sheets you possibly can. You get that crisp experience every single night, but you're going to save a lot of money doing it. Experience the best sheets you've ever felt. BolinBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code Michael at checkout. B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. That's BolinBranch.com. Use promo code Michael. It seems that everybody in Biden world is either radical or stupid. Say what you will about Katanji Jackson. The woman isn't stupid. She's got impeccable credentials. She presents herself very well. She's been in a very difficult field and apparently has, has performed quite well in it. 
She's a radical. Stupid people don't know who Derek Bell is, right? Smart people don't know who Derek Bell is because they spend their time on more fruitful pursuits. But stupid leftists, they don't know who invented critical race theory. They agree with all of the precepts of critical race theory because it's filtered down to them, but they don't read this stuff. This woman does. She is the radical side of, of Biden and the Democrats and the liberals. Then there's the other side. And this brings us to our vice president, Kamala Harris, who has some really profound thoughts for your Tuesday morning. The governor and I, and we were all um, doing a tour of the library here and um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. Where is my bong? Where did the producers put my, I, I keep a bong under my desk just so that when Kamala Harris starts speaking, I can understand what she has to say. And I look under my desk and somebody took my bong. Now, I mean, this is a young company. There are a lot of people in their twenties here. I'm not surprised it went missing, but now I have no idea what Kamala Harris was saying. The time, you know, man, you know, man, you ever think about time? And the passage of time, man, and the significance of the passage of time. And then what she did, it, it's not even that she was talking like a stoner so much as she was talking like a student in class who's just stalling for time because she doesn't know the answer to the question. She'll so say, you know, hey, uh, Kamala, what happens in chapter four of War and Peace? She, and she didn't do the reading, you know, and she'll say, well, you know, it really got me thinking about time and the passage, and the significance. And you know, and the and do you ever think about the significance of the past? Like she's writing an essay, and she's got a 1,000 word count minimum that she's got to hit, and she's only on word 700, so she just keeps repeating the same thing. That's what Kamala Harris is doing. You got people in the administration who are radical. You've got people in the administration who are stupid. And generally, if you've got those two choices, you probably favor the stupid side of things, because the radicals are effective. This is what worries me about Judge Jackson's nomination. It's that she does know what she's doing. She knows exactly what she's doing. And she's probably going to be pretty good at remaking our law and pushing a radical leftist agenda from the bench. You see someone on the stupid side of things, not naming names. Well, I will name names. Joe Biden. Joe Biden would be the, the example of this par excellence. No one thinks Joe Biden is a genius. He's always been a, a doddering simpleton. He's got air blowing in between his ears. And I think a lot of people actually voted for him because that made them feel more comfortable. That made them fear at peace. Oh, he's not a radical. He's just kind of a dumb guy who goes along with things. But the, the end result of the stupid people in politics on the left is the radicalism because they don't know anything. So, so what does Joe Biden do? He wakes up every day. He doesn't read Derek Bell. He doesn't read Kimberly Crenshaw. He doesn't know who these people are, but he licks his finger. He puts it up in the wind. He figures out which way the wind is blowing. And then he just goes along with that. So that's how you get Joe Biden, who does not give much thought to serious matters of politics or culture or faith or anything. And he just goes along with whatever's popular. And because the intellectuals on the left have totally set the agenda, because the critical race theorists on the left have totally set the agenda, he just goes along with that. And now you've got the most radical president 
that we've ever had. Not because of some intrinsic radicalism of Joe Biden, but just because he has no integrity and he doesn't have very much intelligence and he has barely any education. And so he just goes along with what smarter, more effective people tell him to do. And he's the president, so, so it works. Same thing goes with Kamala Harris. She doesn't know anything about anything, but she also doesn't have any integrity or principles. So she just goes along with it. This is how the passage of time is significant because as time goes on and the left becomes more radical, then the people who just blow in the wind become more radical as well. Now, speaking of time, some people are about to get a lot of time behind bars, not child pornographers who go up before Judge Jackson, but the, the much worse miscreants, the much more dangerous insurrectionist terrorists in America, the people who showed up to the Capitol on January 6th. There's a guy just to show you the kind of person who is now having the book thrown at him. There's a guy named Brady Knowlton. No relation. Brady Knowlton entered the Capitol at 2.35 p.m. on January 6th. He did not smash a window to get into the Capitol. He did not use a crowbar. He just walked right into the rotunda. He walked right into the rotunda as cops waved him in. He was, he walked by cops as he was going in and the cops kind of laughed and they said, oh, hey, so don't break anything, you know, and whatever, have a good time. He, he's a 40 year old law student. He walks into the Capitol through the upper West terrace doors, walked by several cops that we've got, we've got this on video footage. The cop said, you can go in just so long as you don't break anything. He didn't break anything. And he left after 18 minutes. He was in there for 18 minutes. He now faces 20 years in prison. 20 years in prison for walking into the Capitol after the cops told him it was fine and leaving in less than 20 minutes. His law degree has been withheld from him. Airbnb has banned him and his wife from using that, from using those accommodations. Uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection stripped his global entry access. So he's lost one of his privileges when he travels. He's not on a no-fly list yet. The FBI arrested him. The DOJ charged him with obstruction of an official proceeding, entering or remaining on restricted uh, building or grounds, and disorderly conduct in the Capitol building. Uh, they're accusing him of uh, breach and unlawful entry, even though the cops waved him in, of conspiracy planning or preparation uh, of uh, maps and diagrams, materials, devices, or use, tools used to breach the Capitol. And this is just one of at least 800 people charged in the Capitol insurrection coup d'etat. Now, thankfully, Mr. Knowlton has Alan Dershowitz as his lawyer. Alan Dershowitz, one of the best lawyers in America, Harvard Law professor for a very long time, lawyer to O.J. Simpson. Got O.J. Simpson off, okay? <laughs> O.J. Simpson did a lot more than Mr. Knowlton did. Uh, he was lawyer for Donald Trump, uh, defending the Constitution during Trump's impeachment. There are a lot of these cases. There are a lot of these cases right now. Child pornographers get off the hook, but Midwestern dads walking into the Capitol as the cops wave them in, they get the book thrown at them. They get 20 years in prison. Why? Because our ruling class is punishing political dissidents. We see this overseas all the time. We say, China punishes political dissidents and puts them in jail on trumped up charges. Russia punishes political dissidents and puts them in jail on trumped up charges. Regimes in the Middle East, in Africa, punish. Yes, that's all true. They do. So do we. So do we. We are, and I don't say, we're, we are not doing it. The conservatives are not the ones doing it. It's the liberals who run the government. They run the entire 
power structure of the United States. Even when Republicans win one house of Congress, even when Republicans sort of kind of have a majority on the Supreme Court, even if Republicans win the White House, the Democrats still run the bureaucracy, the administrative government. They run the media, they run big tech, they run all of the real power centers and they ruthlessly punish political dissidents and they throw ordinary guys who get waved in by cops, who walk into the people's house that his tax dollars pay for and do nothing and then leave within 20 minutes, they throw them in prison for 20 years if they can. This brings us to Ukraine (laughs) because there's a headline out of Ukraine that is really shocking people who think that the war in Ukraine is a totally clear-cut, very simple matter. And the story is that Volodymyr Zelensky the president of Ukraine, who is heroically fighting against the Russian invasion and standing up to Vladimir Putin and refusing to back down. So everyone in the West loves him and they're saying he's, he's the great savior of Western freedom. Zelensky just banned opposition parties from his country. Wait a second. That doesn't sound very democratic. That doesn't sound very freedom. <laughs> that doesn't sound, hold on. What do you mean? Uh, president Zelensky just introduced, just banned, not even the fringe opposition parties, but Ukraine's main opposition party, as well as, as well as 10 others, as part of an anti-Russia crackdown. The For Life Party, the Left Opposition, the Progressive Socialist Party, the Socialist Party, the Socialists, the Union of Left Forces, the Party of Sharia, the Opposition Bloc, Our State, and Vol- Volodymyr Saldo Bloc, they've all been banned by decree for at least as long as martial law remains in place. Uh, This is obviously uh, a a big knock to the argument that Ukraine is a liberal democratic country. But before you go blame Zelensky, just like I say, before you go blame Xi Jinping or you go blame Vladimir Putin, before you go blaming Zelensky, take a look at what we have done in the United States. You know, there's a lot of censorship. There's a lot of banning in America. The clearest example of this is when, forget about the elections for a second, the clearest example of this is when Harry's Razors decided to attack me and try to cancel me on Twitter. That's right. You thought I forgot. I didn't. One year ago today, some fake Twitter account with two followers who is almost certainly a Democrat operative comes out and digs up some old clip of me on Candace Owens's old show before she was at the Daily Wire from years prior. And it was a clip in which she said that men are not women. And I agreed with her and they tagged Harry's and Harry's came on my show. They were only a sponsor after that clip even aired. And, but Harry's came out, gave into the pressure of the two person follower fake Twitter account and said that my, my statements were condemnable, were awful, were not in line with their values and really, really attacked anyone, our listeners, half of America at least, that believes that men and women are different and called us terrible people and said after after our listeners had been buying their product for a long time and said, yeah, we hate you. Basically saying, we hate you guys. And so revenge is a dish best served cold. Uh, we have spent the, the ensuing year after this happened uh, with uh, Jeremy Boring meticulously planning how to create his own rival razor company at the URL IHateHarrys.com. Check out the trailer. Do you remember when there were two genders and only one and a half of them had to shave their mustaches? I'm Jeremy Boring, CEO and God King of The Daily Wire. Harry's razors used to advertise on our shows. They're a great product and we were happy to do it. That's before some peon who works for me went and said that boys are boys and girls are girls. And that was just too much for Harry's. 
and they dropped their ads from our network because of what they called values misalignment. Harry's Razors doesn't want your business. I do. Then buy my new razor instead. Behold, Jeremy's Razors. Yes, they're real. Yes, they're fabulous. Our country's in trouble. Conservatives are being canceled by Hollywood, the media, universities, and now Harry's Razors. Stop giving your money to woke corporations who don't think you deserve their product. Give it to me instead. Head over to IHateHarrys.com and pre-order your Founders Series razor and shaving cream set today. Unless you're the kind of man who teaches his daughter to shave her beard. Yes, it is a joke. Yes, it is real. Go to IHateHarrys.com. When you want to save money, not just on your razors, but on your travel, you got to go check out Priceline. Right now, go to Priceline.com. Since 1998, Priceline has been the best way for travelers to book the trip they want at the price they can afford. Priceline saves consumers more than $1 billion every year so that their customers never have to miss the moments that matter. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on rental cars and flights. When you save more, you can do more. Get more. Wow, this view is incredible. More. Mm, another round of room service, please. More. Booyah. I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss. Sorry, Ben. There are a few things that feel as good as knowing that you saved money. With the discounts Priceline offers, you get that feeling a lot because when you save more, you can enjoy more and do more. At Priceline, every trip is a big deal. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, more mm, more booyah, just to name a few out of it. You know, at The Daily Wire, we've started a lot of things, a razor company, a movie company, a lot of things. We also have our own publishing wing called DW Books. We're proud to publish books that actively fight the left's monopoly on storytelling, like Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, The 2020 Riots and the Gaslighting of America by Julio Rosas, which is going to pull back the curtain on the BLM riots that torched our country after George Floyd's death. Rosas was reporting from the ground. He's got firsthand experience uh, to show you exactly how dishonest the media were. Go pre-order his book today at Amazon. That is Julio Rosas. Go check out the book. We'll be right back with a lot more. Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky has banned opposition parties from the country, which throws a wrench into the argument that Ukraine is this pristine, perfect democracy and is single-handedly fighting against autocracy all over the world. In a way, it does. But, but actually, Zelensky might have his reasons, okay? They have declared martial law there because the country is at war right now. And the country is at war, and so democracy, perfect, pristine democracy is not going to exist right now. There might not be a government. There might not be much of a country left after this war. And so Zelensky's doing what he needs to do. And he's showing that perfect, pristine, utopian democracy doesn't really exist all the time. We've done the same thing here in America. We've done the same thing here. Back in, what was it? 1918 in America, there was a socialist candidate for president, Eugene Debs. He was fairly popular, actually, and Woodrow Wilson threw him into prison. He threw him into prison because he believed that the socialist, Eugene Debs, was too, so far out of the mainstream of American politics as to actually have broken the law. And he put him in prison and would not let the man seriously compete to become president. You don't need to go all the way back to 100 years ago. You can go back to just a couple of years ago. Donald Trump was never thrown in prison, but the left did, did their best to do it. 
They tried to impeach him twice and remove him from office. Now they're using the courts to try to arrest him, to throw him in prison for some trumped up tax charge or some financial crime or or for whatever they can. They're trying to punish their political opposition and make it such that Donald Trump can never run for president again. They already kicked him off of social media, which is the public square, which is how we engage in democratic politics. In a self-governing republic, speech is politics. Politics is speech. If you take away a person's ability to speak in the public square, where 90% of the information that moves around our country goes, then you are taking a huge, huge chunk out of their ability to compete in democratic politics. Which is why when I point out an inconvenient fact about Ukraine, namely that it's not really a democracy, that increasingly it's not particularly liberal or democratic, or that they're banning opposition parties. They'd already done this in the past. They had banned opposition media. They've arrested journalists. Okay. I'm not even saying this as a criticism. I'm not even saying this. I'm saying it to give context when we're talking about a a regime in China, who's a geopolitical foe of the United States. When we talk about the regime in Russia, geopolitical foe of the United States. When we talk about the regime in Ukraine, such as it is, is it on our side? Is it on Russia's side? Is it a buffer state? I think it is much more helpful to talk about politics in terms of practical goals than it is to talk about pie in the sky, democracy versus autocracy, freedom versus slavery, good versus evil. I'm not saying that those things don't exist. I'm not drawing a moral equivalence between regimes on earth. I'm simply pointing out that when we want to get into actual statecraft, actual statesmanship. How are we going to resolve this war in Ukraine? It's not going to be terribly helpful to use these really overly simplistic uh, descriptions or caricatures of these various countries. They sometimes apply more clearly and sometimes less clearly. And in this conflict, I don't think that really, that tweeting, that changing your profile picture to blue and yellow, to putting the little flag in your Twitter, that's not going to do anything. Even canceling Russia and pulling all the corporations out of Russia, is that going to help? I don't think that's helped at all. Even, we've talked about this from the beginning of the Ukraine conflict, the sort of endless expansion of NATO in the European Union. Has that helped? Has that made the West stronger? Has that made Russia weaker? Has that made Ukraine stronger? No, I don't think it accomplished any of those goals. What is wanted here is not simple condemnations, hashtag slacktivism. What is wanted is wisdom. The Chinese ambassador to the United States was just invited on CBS's Sunday show on Face the Nation. And it was one of the saddest performances I've ever seen, not by the Chinese ambassador, but by the CBS anchor, because they invite this guy on to describe the situation, which now involves a lot more than just America and Russia and Europe and Ukraine. It involves China, it involves India. We're really talking about a potentially global conflict. And every time this guy tried to make a a statement, an observation about what's going on, this anchor woman cut him off and demanded that he condemn Russia. And uh, we, we, we are in the opinion. Russia amassed more than 150,000 troops at China's border. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why we want well, just to, be clear, to have a China, good, you would, good you would, friendly, good neighborly relations with Russia. But you would recognize what, that's what not is, good, friendly, neighborly relations with 150,000 troops on the border of a neighboring country and then to send those troops into that country. Well. In those circumstances, why can't you condemn this as an invasion? Mm-hmm. Well, let's don't be naive. Condemnation. 
It sounds naive to say that's not doesn't, invasion. It doesn't solve the problem. You know, I, I, I would be surprised if Russia will back down by contamination. What is well, urgently Will they back needed? down if your president is, asks Vladimir Putin to back down? Will your yeah. president ask Vladimir Putin to back we down? We have done so. They rely And we'll continue. You. Condemnation, you know, only doesn't help. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. We need courage. And we need good diplomacy. So while this babbling woman is is running her mouth, cutting him off, he's making a very good point. The Chinese ambassador is saying, don't be naive. I don't think that condemnation, and she cuts him off. She won't even let him get the point out. She says, well, no, but it's, you're being naive. No, you, no, we need to condemn. Why does it? And he says, lady, condemnation is not going to solve the war in Ukraine. If condemnation were going to solve the war in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine would be over by now because everybody's condemned Russia. Everybody's condemned Putin, not just the nations, the, the companies, the corporations have all pulled out of Russia. We've got major sanctions on Russia, not just ordinary sanctions. They sanctioned the central bank. They destroyed the economy. They destroyed the Russian ruble. And yet the war keeps going on. The strategy of condemnation hasn't done very much of anything. That's the point the Chinese ambassador is making. She says, well, why won't, your, why won't your boss, why won't Xi Jinping tell Putin to pull out of Ukraine? And the Chinese ambassador said, well, he's done that. Now, he's probably done that, he's done that publicly, but he doesn't really mean it privately. And he's, he's, he's making exactly the same point he's been making the whole time. He says, lady, your slogans are not doing it. Maybe your slogans, maybe your condemnation, maybe you're changing your profile picture and putting the little flag in your avatar. Maybe that makes you feel better as you watch the carnage unfold in Ukraine. But it's not doing anything to stop the carnage. What is wanted now is wisdom and diplomacy. Russia is winning the war. Ukraine is losing the war. It's not even close. Western propaganda is trying to convince people that Ukraine is winning the war. And they make up a bunch of BS stories about the ghost of Kiev and the Snake Island people who told Russia to go F themselves. And then they were all blasted away. And they make up a bunch of stuff to try to win the propaganda war. Oh, well, that's fine. There's propaganda in every war, but we shouldn't believe our own propaganda. Okay. Because we're going to feel really good and really indignant. And we're going to feel so wonderful about our condemnations until Ukraine doesn't exist anymore. And then we're all going to be surprised because we believed our own hype and BS or Here's another strategy. We could deal with the reality on the ground. Frankly, this ties into what we were talking to yesterday and what we've been talking to for weeks about, about the transgender swimmer at the NCAA championships. It's what we're talking about with the, the radicalism in our schools and, and the, the way that, that policies have been presented around the country, the way we've talked about COVID even, the huge chasm between the, the narrative and reality. Well, if you're just dealing in the fantasy, you're not going to solve any problems in reality. So I, I wish that the Chinese ambassador had been able to get more words out before that babbling lady on CBS cut him off, because I think there's actually quite a lot of wisdom in what he's saying. If you want to stop the encroachments of Russia westward, if you want to defend the nation of Ukraine, if you don't even care that much about Ukraine, but you want to defend American 
hegemony and you want to defend the strength of the West, then start dealing in facts, okay? And maybe you won't feel as good about that. Maybe you won't get as many likes on Facebook and Twitter, but it will do a lot more to actually help the situation on the ground. It, when you watch that man, that Chinese ambassador to the U.S. speaking to that woman, you can see the effects of two kinds of education, two different education systems. The Chinese education system, which didn't start out all that great, but has been rapidly improving because they're focused on making their country much stronger and their citizens much smarter. And then the American education system, which fills our kids' heads with lies and fantasies and talks about critical race theory and how little five-year-old boys can really be little girls all day and talks about structural racism, how terrible America is, and doesn't even teach people basic manners like let your guest finish before you interrupt him. And it's pathetic because that Chinese ambassador seemed much smarter and much wiser and much more in command of himself and world affairs than that news anchor did. And that's her job. She's supposed to be in command of those things. She's a TV host and a news anchor. And yet she, she doesn't seem to know much about anything. I think it comes down to an education problem. And it is, is it any wonder? Sometimes I wonder, do conservatives exaggerate the problems in our schools. My kid is not in school yet. I have not been in school for some years now. I graduated college about 10 years ago. So it's been a while since I've been in schools. Are things really as bad as we make them out to be? And the answer is yes, (laughs) because we have videos from school board meetings. Sometimes we have videos from classrooms. There was a school board meeting in Cherokee County, Georgia, where a mother stood up, she was irate because of the materials that were being handed out to students in this school. And so she decided, she said, look, you all think it's fine for the kids to be reading this obscene material. Let me just read you some of this material. And the school board ruled her out of order for reading material that should not be heard by anyone in the audience. There are children watching. You can't read that stuff. Yeah, that's the point, guys. <laughs> I'm reading the material that you are requiring our students to read. And then I'm reading it back to you and you're saying, don't read it back to me. The students might be listening. I love, I love the absolute obliviousness from this school board. And the mother, she, she can't contain herself anymore. She says, are you, do you hear yourselves? Do you hear yourselves? If material is too obscene to be read at a meeting of the school board, which is 99% or more for adults, then the material is too obscene to be read to the kids, to the children. And the school board members 
don't seem to process this because the school board members aren't really making the curriculum, right? The curriculum is being created by radicals and it is being pushed into the schools by activists. And then the school board and the administrators and often even the teachers really don't know anything about it. They don't know how to fight back. I bet those school board members are just as shocked as, as anyone to hear that that kind of material is in the schools. That's how effective the left has been at taking over our education system. That's how backwards everything has gotten. There is no neutrality here. Okay. There is no fairness. We talk about, we we see it in, in Ukraine right now, banning all the opposition parties. That's not fair. That's not liberalism. That's not democracy. There's no neutrality there. You see in a lot of other worse regimes around the world, banning their opposition parties. I think uh, the breaking news just came through that Vladimir Putin just sentenced the main opposition leader in Russia, who's not even all that popular, sentenced him to another nine years in prison. But it's not just in those really bad faraway places that you see that. You see that in America too. You see child pornographers getting off the hook and you see January 6th people going to prison for 20 years. You see BLM people throwing Molotov cocktails at federal buildings and they get a little slap on the wrist. If that, usually they just get released without any question. And then you see conservatives being punished. You see, you see the Clintons, the Bidens making a boatload of money through corruption, not just in America, but overseas as well, taking money and bribes from some of the worst people in the world. And then Donald Trump, without any crime that I can actually see the left point to, they, they go in, they bring in the Southern District of New York, they try to get this guy, they try to prevent. There, it, there's not any perfect neutrality here, okay? We are living in a real political regime that really does have limits, and, and the limits are moving very, very far to the left. And if you are outside of those limits, the ruling class is going to come for you. At that NCAA swimming championship the other day, the one where that hulking dude beat all the little girls and everyone had to applaud for this, that that was not the end of the transgender activism there. It was not just one confused kid showed up and swam. This has become a cause celeb for all of the transgender activists, both the the people who are sexually confused and their supporters. So there was a woman who showed up, Kelly J. Keene, Posey Parker, who is a a really terrific activist, anti-trans, pro-woman activist. And she showed up and she asked a giant hulking man in a dress, not the swimmer on the team, just an, an older man who was there, asked him not to go into the women's bathroom, not to go into the women's locker room. And this man treated Kelly with absolute contempt. On the basis of the comfort and dignity of girls and women, I'm asking you, telling you, please do not use women's spaces. My it girls, makes them feel uncomfortable. My girls and the other women I am with are very comfortable with me in right. the bathroom. Well, fortunately, I'm not your daughter and my daughter is also not your daughter. Oh, that's right. And she so would she feel... Uh, 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 she would feel... Very uncomfortable. No, I, interrupt right. me. No, you interrupted me. me. Excuse me. You interrupted me. I'm not here me. for a debate. Beth, do you mind? Right. I would like to, I would ask you to please call off your dog. I, I beg oh, your pardon. Whoa. I'm asking you as a mother. I'm asking you as a mother. Do not use female spaces. And I'm very uncomfortable. It makes women and girls feel very uncomfortable. You are not. How dare you. As a mother, I am very. You have never birthed your children. You are not a mother, Dawn. I did the job of mine, which is even more you are absolutely, you are not a mother. You'll never, and this man is there just treating her 
excuse me, hey, call off your dogs. Hey, call off your dogs. Treating her so contemptuously, and it's, he's bigger than her. He's just visibly a man. When you hear these stories, you think, oh, quit picking on the sexually confused people. Oh, you know, come on, you mean old feminist woman, stop. But then you look at the reality, and it's a big hulking dude putting a woman in her place and saying, no, I don't care if you want to use the bathroom on your own. I don't care. I'm going to use that bathroom now. I don't care if your daughter wants to be able to change without my prying eyes, my sexually disturbed eyes looking at her and me getting naked too with all of my male body parts visible. I don't, I'm going to do it. And you call off your dogs and you shut your mouth and you let me do it. That's the reality of this situation, okay? The, the chasm between the narrative and the reality is pretty big. The narrative trans trans women are women. Look at that guy. If you're listening to this clip, you can at least hear it in his voice. Does he sound like a woman to you? Does he look like a woman to you? No, he's a big dude. He's a big dude who lived for 50 years as a man who fathered three children and who now claims that he is a mother, but he's not a mother. He's a big hulking dude. And he's saying, I'm going to go in and I'm going to get naked If I want to go to a locker room, I'm going to get naked in front of your daughter and you have to deal with that. If you want to have a bathroom, you go to the bathroom by yourself, too bad. I'm going to go into that bathroom too. And shut up. There's nothing. That's the reality. That's the sick reality of it. Very different than the narrative. There's There's an amazing contradiction that we're seeing right now. Andrew Garfield, the actor, is, is demonstrating this contradiction. He was asked if he should be allowed to play a gay character because he's not a gay guy. So should he be allowed to play a gay character? We've seen this controversy in recent years. Should a non-transgender person, whatever that means, play a transgender person? Should a non-Asian person be able to play an Asian person? What if they're Hispanic and they look kind of Asian? Are they allowed, should they be allowed? Oh, maybe not. Should should you be able to play anybody who has qualities that you do not have? And this is such a funny part of this debate because the definition of being an actor is that you pretend to be someone that you're not. (laughs) So, So if you tell actors they can't pretend to be people that they're not, then they can't act anymore. Then you've just gotten rid of acting. Acting is living truthfully in imaginary circumstances. But you, you need the imaginary circumstances part. So Garfield says, quote, If we only allow people to be cast as exactly who they are, it'll be the death of empathic imagination. So the two separate conversations have to happen simultaneously, meaning, you know, talking about whether we should have more movies with more diverse casts and also should people be able to play people that they're not. I'm not willing to support the death of empathic imagination. It's what we need most as a culture and it's beautiful. It's the only thing that's going to save us right now. So he's defending imagination. And the craziest, it didn't hit me until Andrew Garfield put it this way. But what we are told is that imaginary things have to be real. We're being told that men who think they're women, we have to pretend that they're actually women. That people with all sorts of disordered delusions, we have to indulge those delusions. We have to all play pretend all the time. But real things have to be imaginary. So we're not, you're not, the actor, the the actor whose job it is to play pretend is not allowed to play pretend. But the person living in real life has to play pretend all the time. 
The man who thinks that he's a woman or for whatever reason wants to present himself as a woman, we all need to go along with that. But if that same man were cast in a movie, he's not allowed to play a woman unless he's pretending to be a woman in real life. It's this complete invert in what should really happen is that imaginary things are imaginary and real things are real. And we've completely confused the two. We are so far down the rabbit hole. And we've got this real obsession with sex. I have to get to this story before we go. There's a Democrat activist down in Florida. Her name is Kim Mangone, who has just put up a giant billboard with Democrat PAC money. And all the billboard says is gay. Gay, because you know how you're, you can't say gay in Florida. You're not allowed to say gay. I mean, that's not true. There's no bill that says you can't say gay. The bill they say says don't say gay doesn't even say the word gay in it. But the Democrats have created this completely fictitious narrative that you're not allowed to say gay in Florida now, thanks to Ron DeSantis. So they spend a lot of money on this billboard and says gay. And she writes, she goes, how many of these billboards do you want me to put up in Florida? My answer is a lot of them. I am 100% in favor of Democrat activists wasting their money on gay billboards that don't say anything about candidates, that will not be popular, that are opposing a bill that is extremely popular in Florida, and that is pushing a radical agenda that has caused Americans of all stripes and all affiliations to sway heavily to conservatives in recent years. Go for it. Give me the gay billboards. That Finally, we've got some political compromise. We agree. Put up those gay billboards. Tell us exactly what you believe, Democrats. I want total clarity. I want the Supreme Court nominees saying that they support critical race theory. I, just come out and say it. I want Democrats all over the country saying they support hulking dudes going into little girls' locker rooms. Yep, come out and say it. Just tell me the truth. Believe, be, tell me and we'll believe it. I want Democrats coming out against curriculum transparency. I want them telling parents to go pound sand. And then we're going to see who wins in November. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina and hair and makeup by Cherokee Heart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, internal dissension roils Disney as the Mouse House gets wildly political. Plus, the Daily Wire goes to war with Harry's Razors and Gillette. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm.